Well, I want to welcome to the program, Devin O'Donnell. Devin, welcome to the program. Good to be here. I know you and first met you as the director of parent education and and community education at at the Oaks Classical Christian Academy in Spokane Valley. I've known Mr. O'Donnell now for a couple of years, Devin, and I've had a number of uh, just really very, very joyful uh, and um, just invigorating conversations, honestly, uh, Devin, it's a thrill to have you here. Not only do you do that, you uh, you're actually a, a, a teacher in the in the high school years, which mm-hmm. is a, a wonderful gift. I know my kids enjoy you very much, and um, also on the soccer field, uh, you're the assistant coach. You don't mm-hmm. show any of your passion at all on, on the sideline. <laughs> <there>. That's uh... <laughs> yeah. Uh, but you're also the editor of Classis, uh, which is a, a journal published by uh, the Association of Classical Christian Schools. And I'm going to be sharing those websites as well. And uh, not, not last but not least, you're also the author of a book called The Age of Martha, A Call to Contemplative Learning in a Frenzied Culture. So, Devin, there's a reason yes, why I have you on today. And that is, yesterday on the program, I was talking about the phenomenon of the church not bearing seemingly the fruit that the Lord willed and wills mm. his church to have. Uh, you know, I, I have commanded you to go and bear fruit. And, and he, yeah. he talks all about John 15, the, the you know, the vine and branches. And, and, hit, and that's mm. his great joy that our joy would be complete. Mm-hmm. And so fruitfulness ought to be expected of mm-hmm. the church and of God's people. And yesterday I had a chance to reflect on the call that priests and bishops have to be uh, to, to govern, teach, and sanctify, right? Priest, prophet, and king. To govern, teach, and sanctify, that's their mm-hmm. established role in the church. Today I, I want to reflect with you on education and the part that schools play. And I think it's a very timely thing because next week is – Catholic Schools Week, and I'm going to be having on a number of Catholic schools that will be highlighted, and I'll have a chance to explore with them the way in which uh, the Lord is at work bearing fruit in Catholic schools. But also, I think it's important that we take an honest look, an eyes-wide-open look at what's happening in um, the educational world these days. And Are there Mm -hmm. movements that are bearing fruit? And what about that whole college thing, which a lot of folks are wrestling with who've got kids at your Mm -hmm. age and my age, at juniors, seniors in high school, our recent graduates, Mm -hmm. and and trying to figure out how do I navigate all of that? So as I was pondering this, I thought, you know, Devin would be a great guest to have on. So I just... I just I put a lot of weight right here now, Devin, on, right. on this interview. You better come through, man. I need some insight from you. So I feel like this is uh, this is not the only time you've done this before. You tee it up so well that now now the uh, interviewee has a lot of uh, responsibility. So, well, there's a big that's a big setup, and, and let's just start with this: that um, you are uh, on staff at the Oaks, and the Oaks mm-hmm. is, has embarked on a, a new building project. So you talk about what's happening in a school. The Oaks is filled to overflowing, literally having to drop mm-hmm. down more portables outside of the building just to be able to right. handle the the demand of families who want to go there. And and that's not yep. the only one. You know, I think of the Chesterton Academy and, and other mm-hmm. classical schools that are opening up that People are yeah. knocking and knocking and knocking at these doors 
saying, let me in. And, and mm-hmm. now you have this new building that's going to be opened and it's almost full before they even open, which is just amazing right. all by itself. Right. So let me just, just stop there and say, as parents are like pondering and reflecting on what's my responsibility with regards to the formation and education of my kids as godly citizens, as faithful citizens, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, when they think about schools, they have certain expectations. And yet when they take a look at some of the recent like measurable impacts that schools have had, even faith-based schools, they're not mm-hmm. always delivering the goods, if you will, that there's, mm-hmm. there's a mm-hmm. falling short. Is that, I don't know, that's my own take on it. That's anecdotal yeah. statistic. Speak to that point. Yeah, I think, um, I think with with um, you have Catholic education, you know, in in the last century, parochial schools largely. You also have many Christian schools. Um, in fact, my first job was teaching at a sort of garden variety Christian school that was really more uh, what we would call outreach driven, more evangelical. Um, but functionally, it was pretty much a government school in terms of its curricula in terms of even sort of the integrity and structure of, of the, the way in which the schooling was done, the pedagogy, um, the forms. Um, and we've seen that um, as time has gone on, like you said, um, something's been missing. They, they haven't been delivering. Like something was has been lost, I think, in translation. And probably one of the things that I would point to um, is this uh, idea of paideia. Um, so the, everybody's upset about what's, what is happening in the government schools today, right? Um, and what's being taught, right? And um, the, am, the ambitions of, um, you know, on one hand, you have super kind of leftist ideological ambitions. Um, and then you have... Um, you know, the, the moral kind of disintegration of, of the public school cultures or the government school cultures and so forth. But um, everybody seems to kind of ignore or, or at least um, forget or is just completely unaware of what was not so much of what, 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 was, what has been taught, but has, what has been removed. Um, so long ago, prayer was banished from... <laughs> from uh, government schools um, long ago was uh, um, you know, any reference to, to, you know, scripture as a, as like part of the curriculum banished. Um, there used to be catechisms, Christian catechisms in, in government schools. Um, and I'm not saying that we need to bring back the good old days. I think um, the reasons why, um, both in even some Catholic parochial schools, many Catholic parochial schools and government schools and and just Christian schools in general, the reason why they have ended up where they have ended up is is the is not um, a bug but more of a feature of its metaphysics or its lack of metaphysics um, and or lack of of a, of a kind of, Christian metaphysics. So I don't know if, I hope that makes sense, but what I'm trying to say is we've lost paideia. That's what, and, and a, like a, a Western Christian paideia. 
Okay, no, I'm just going to, I'm going to pause right there because you just started using a fancy Greek word here. And if you're going to flex a fancy Greek word, you better define it for us. Uh, When you say we've lost our paideia, what do you mean by that? What is paideia? Great question. I I was going to define it. Um, (laughs) uh, Yeah, so paideia is the, is the Greek word that really is sort of untranslatable um, in English. Uh, we we do see it in scripture. Uh, we see it most notably in Ephesians six four, where it's where Paul says, "Do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the." Uh, sometimes it says the nurture and admonition of the Lord, or the instruction and correction of the Lord, and and that word, admonition or correction or instruction, is often the word paideia. That that's how it's often rendered, um, and what it is is really the. Um, the program of enculturation for a young person to become part of the world in, in a, in, and to grow up into kind of their fullest potential as a, as a human. Um, Paul says, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath. That first part, I've been, I've been doing more study on this lately. Um, why does he, why does he say that? Uh, well, um, paideia is also where we get the word pedagogy is related to paideia. Pedagogue is 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 related to paideia. So um, this you would have a pedagogue that would follow um, aristocratic young Roman boys to school and make sure they did their homework and they went to their classes and they went to their tutor and um, and if they if they didn't they were beaten right? There, there was punishment. Uh, so Paul is saying, uh, don't provoke your, your children to wrath, uh, but bring them up in the pay of the Lord, um, which is to say, learning is fixed around the logos that is centered in the, the, um, the revelation of, uh, of Christian theology and uh, Christian metaphysics and uh, moral philosophy. And so so it's a big, it's a big deal. Mean means a lot. Um, well, and when I think about that, and I think about the role of schools, it's one of those very practical considerations that I'm not sure we as parents ponder sufficiently. And it, it's a very simple thing. Mm. So I get up in the morning before my kids. My level of interaction with my kids before they leave for school is counted in seconds, not in minutes even, right? So they're wandering past me to go get some breakfast and then they're packing their stuff up and then they're running out the door to get to school on time. So a very small amount of real engaged interaction beyond, hey, good morning, how are you? Um, And then they show back up uh, at the end of of my workday, their school day, and Mm -hmm. they're well, if they're not involved in sports, which again is going to take them out into the later part of the afternoon or early evening or games into the later evening, mm-hmm. you see where all this is going. Um, not mm-hmm. a lot of time where I'm interacting with my kiddos, um, mm-hmm. maybe around the dinner table, brief interactions. And then at night, guess what they're doing? They're around the, they're sitting around the dinner table or, or at a spot and they're doing their homework. And then we have our mm-hmm. family prayer and then go to bed. So it's not like I don't have any contact with them. But the group of people that have the dominant 
predominant uh, amount of time and right. effect, impact on my kids is the educational system. It's that mm-hmm. organization that has such profound uh, influence on how my kids are going to grow. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that's one of the reasons parents, if not the most important reason why, we have to be so discerning about the way that the the schools where our kids are attending or the mm. manner of education that we choose for our kids is going to happen in a way that um, that is attempting to foster the ideals mm-hmm. that we mm-hmm. have for our kids. And I don't think that we should just presume that this is the mindset and the approach and the ideal of the schools that our kids are uh, being sent to or, or, or end yeah. up walking in the halls. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And, and um, so that, that's where I, you know, scri- scripturally think are, are charged with the responsibility of educating their children. That doesn't mean though they have to be the, the, the one who gives the direct instruction, mm-hmm. right? They partner with, with people. And that's, that's as old as history, right? Um, Paul was taught by someone probably other than his dad at some point, right? Um, so we we partner with teachers to do this, and this is kind of that old Latin. This is expressed in that old Latin phrase in in loco parentis, which is in the place of the parents. So the the um, teacher and the school in in many cases. Uh, is functioning in place of the parent, not undermining the parent, um, but supporting the parent in accomplishing their um, their objectives to educate their child. Uh, so it's important to be on the same page, <laughs> right? In terms of what you believe about the world, about ultimate reality, and the commitments you have, and uh, what it what is a you know what is a human being supposed to be. Um, what does it mean to be human, right? Mm-hmm. Those are all educational kind of um, objectives that parent and school ideally need to be most lockstep on. Um, so, yeah, and I, think I don't think all... that we as parents should um, presume right. that they are. In fact, the presumption right. ought to be that they're not until you prove that they are, right? It's like yeah. if I said, right. parents, if, uh, just because there's a name on on the door or if there's a mission statement that's on a wall, don't presume that those things are what is real and really happening in the halls, mm-hmm. in in the classrooms. That's in right. fact, you better be testing, you better be reflecting, you better be engaged, mm-hmm. you better be involved, so that yeah. what is happening in, in your kids' lives are going to complement and supplement, promote and enhance the very things that you're doing for your kids at home. And yep. when that's not happening, the the damage the damage can be uh, life altering, just mm-hmm. life altering, um, mm-hmm. especially as the kids get older. We you know we're talking yep. seventh grade and above, and all of a sudden now you have smartphones and you've got families coming from very very different circumstances. If you're not incredibly discerning about who it is that's walking those halls, the other kids yep. that are there, and then what the teachers are saying. Um, you could find that your your child has a faith that ends up being attacked, undermined, diminished, uh, is deteriorating because of the culture, because of the ethos, because of That's the right. spirit that is in the halls. 
And so yeah. this is this is a really big deal and ought to be attended to. Yeah. Yeah, I remember I was at a soccer game when my kids when when my oldest son was probably um I don't know, eight or something like that. They were, you know, they're all running around in a big mess. Um, and I remember talking to a, a parent um, and he was asking me, well, where do you guys send your kids to school? And we were saying, well, we, we send them to a, a classical Christian school, and classical school. Okay. Well, what is that? And so of course that's impossible to try to explain in like 30 seconds, you know, but I said, well, they teach, you know, we, we try to teach old things, uh, you know, handing, handing on, you know, Western culture and we teach Latin and uh, we think virtue matters and all that, you know, it's impossible to try to package it. So in, in a, you know, such a short space of time, but um, I remember him saying this, well, that sounds all fine and good, but I don't want any kind of religion crammed down my kid's throat, you know? Um, and I just thought, wow, that's so interesting. Because if my kids were in a public school and they said, well, I know, even if they expressed like hesitation over the idea that, you know, a man and a man should be married, like, I don't know if that's such a good idea, or maybe there's a purpose to having a body and, you know, unusual sexual desires are not actually maybe the best pursuit, um, or you know, um, a kind of different sort of take on politics or something like that, um, be shouted down, right? They would be shut down. And at that point, whose religion is being crammed down whose throat, right? Um, you can't avoid some kind of sacred order from which the, the social order is going to live and move and have its being, right? What we believe um, the cultus is is uh, the thing from which the culture comes from. And so all education is religious. <laughs> it's just going to be, it's just it's somebody is, you know, um, the idea that you, we have this kind of secular world where it's just a sort of neutral space and I can express my idea and you can express your idea and we can agree to a disagree. Well, we're, that was, I think, a transitional period in our, in our history. And we're already seeing that that's actually not even the case on college campuses most places today, right? Uh, with cancel culture and things like that. So, um, so you can't avoid some kind of, when I say religious, I'm talking about commitments and beliefs about reality, right? And you can't avoid those things. Hi, this is Dr. Tom Curran, and you know me as the host of Sound Insight. I am also letting folks know that as a realtor licensed in the state of Washington and in Idaho, I love serving Catholic families and others who are discerning a move for yourselves. It's much more than buying or selling a home. It's discerning a whole new life. If that's something that you would find uh, a help in, if I could be of service to you, please be in touch. You can find out more at drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com. Again, I'm talking with Devin O'Donnell. He is the director of uh, family education, community education at the Oaks. He's also the editor of Classus, 
a, a journal from the Association of Classical Christian Schools, and he's the author of The Age of Martha, A Call to Contemplative Learning in a Frenzied Culture. Uh, Devin, uh, I want to give some concrete examples of what it is you just said, and this will involve the kids, and this will also involve the parents, because um, you use that term cultus and as a way of somehow linking like the spirit and atmosphere that you'll see in the hallways, you'll see in how a, a school is the school, that that's going to show up, but it's going to also show up in part because of how that school has made a decision intentionally to pursue mm-hmm. their relationship and live their relationship with God. So mm-hmm. I, I think about Cantabile. So uh, Cantabile is for me a very moving thing that happens at, on the beginning of Mondays and the end of Fridays, the school right. days at the Oaks where all of the kids come together uh, in their classes and parents are welcome and other visitors can come. And there's some beautiful hymn singing, hymn singing to the Lord. And it is so often done in, um, is the right term polyphony? You know, there's a, there's a harmonizing of, of yeah. many voices. Mm-hmm. And it is, if I had to use a word, it would be glorious. You know, there's Mm -hmm. that beautiful, I think it's Psalm 100, that the Lord inhabits the praises of his Mm -hmm. people and the glory of God is made manifest in, in, uh, in praise. Uh, That's Augustine quote um, that that's what gets stirred in me when I'm there. It's I'm witnessing Mm -hmm. a community of believers who have Mm chosen to be together in this educational moment, in this educational institution and saying, it's fitting, it's proper that we come together as a community and sing songs of praise to God and do so in a way that's beautiful, but beautiful mm-hmm. in a uh, in a divine dimension is glorious. So there, there's a yeah. glory to it. And that washes over people. It soaks into people. It mm-hmm. it, it has a, a real impact. Uh, and and mm-hmm. I know when I bring guests to it, they just look at me and they just shake their heads and they're like, wow, that is amazing. Yeah. Amen. And mm-hmm. I'll give one other singing example um, because it's, mm-hmm. it's done in a surprising context. You probably know what I'm going to mm-hmm. say at the end of basketball games. So right. one of the yeah. traditions is that at the end of basketball yeah. games, uh, the two teams that are these opponents, you know, they're battling against each other on the court. Mm-hmm. Um, they're part of the same Christian league, this mountain Christian league. They come to uh, the stands and they line up as the two teams and they often commingle and they then sing the doxology to uh, with the uh, with the the parents and the friends and the other students that are in the stands. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Mm-hmm. And it's it's one of those things, again, when you see it the first time, you just left, I was just left speechless. Like, what is happening here? And, mm-hmm. and then it's like, well, what's happening here is what ought to happen mm-hmm. in my kid's educational uh, organ, you know, f- uh, location is that they ought to be able to be the fullness of who God has intended them to be and what I'm striving to foster and nurture in them. And for that to be able to happen on the basketball court with the support and approval and the engagement of the coaches and the athletic director and the referees and uh, everyone else, it is just, it's profound and it's life-giving. Yeah. Amen. 
and I think um, it's it's good to remember that there is a um, there's there's a willingness to say that matters more than um, for some families than the opportunities that may be available to us in other leagues, right? Um, to be able to have that thing, that that culture that you're describing, um, that is almost um, I don't know where you find that. Any <laughs> like where where can you find you know teams coming together and praising the Lord and and these are it, these are teams that fight hard against each other. It's not as though you know we're just totally singing kumbaya right you know the whole time through the game. I mean these are rivalries that are going back and you know whether it's basketball or soccer they're they're actually battling. But then to be able to end and say, you know, you're my brother in, in, in Christ and you're my sister in Christ, um, it's just a beautiful thing. And you you wouldn't you don't you obviously don't have that in other leagues, but but for many parents, they're giving up the opportunity of of a more competitive uh, league or a, a league that may give them opportunities for advancement and in, into you know college scholarships or anything like that. So um, there's some costs to this as well, um, but but we're we're saying this is what ma- you know matters more, and this is what is more valuable. So uh, those are great examples. Well, you're right. Again, I'm talking with Devin O'Donnell. Devin is on the staff at the Oaks Classical Christian Academy, and he's with me today um, talking about education. Um, this is a lead up interview for Catholic Schools Week happening next week, and. Um, we're paying attention to the idea of where is their fruit? Where do we see the Lord uh, and the concept of faith development mm-hmm. and uh, faithful citizenship, a noble citizen who strives mm-hmm. to do something great with their lives? Where do we see that emerging today in our world? Because Christ, again, wills that we bear fruit. So, Devin, one of the reasons I... Uh, wanted to have you on is because of the way that you have a a beautiful overview, a sense of the horizon of what's happening in America around classical education. And so uh, you have, you've thrown the gauntlet down and said, you know, how do you define classical education in 30 seconds? So I'm going to try to do it. Okay. Uh, And then you um, talk about you know, enhance that in any way you want or edit it. And sure. then um, talk about what you're seeing and, and what you're hearing around the country, mm-hmm. around classical schools. So folks, when you say, what's the difference between a, a classical school that's Catholic and a Catholic school, the difference fundamentally is the methodology. So the methodology is geared towards discipleship. I'm going to form this student as a mm-hmm. disciple, a follower of Jesus, rather right. than having it be open and evangelistic to try to welcome people in and have them be in an environment, students in and have them come into an environment where the faith will be proclaimed. And the discipleship mode of forming is utilizing a methodology that is classical. It's based on grammar, mm-hmm. logic, and rhetoric, this trivium, this sort of threefold methodology that is connected to the capabilities that we human beings have. And so the youngest grades are focused on memorization, using the memory. That's the grammar stage that gives you the rules of the road. The logic stage is helping you use your intellect to understand how to properly navigate uh, within that road. And then thirdly is rhetoric. That's really about the will and imagination. How do you persuade others to believe what is true in a way that will help them flourish as human beings? And so in brief, that classical methodology is attempting to foster an authentically human way of thinking. You learn how to think, you learn how to learn, but you do so in a way 
that you learn how to love learning. So there's my quick definition. It's great. Yeah, I agree. Um, and and I think it's okay to to not be able to um, say everything. Uh, you know, you sometimes parents are are talking to each other and they're in the parking lot or you know they're at the store or whatever and they're trying to explain everything about their kid's education and they feel like they just can't do it. They don't have the elevator pitch or whatever. It you should always have more to say, not less. And I think that that's always a comforting thought is to say I. I, you just got to come and see um, there's, there's, I can give you books. I could, you know, there's, there's a two, two, three thousand years of history that we could go through. And there's the medieval world that we can talk about, but ultimately um, there's always going to be more to say. So um, yeah, I would only, I, I would just add to that. If, if we're thinking about today, we fast forward today and you know, I talked about Paideia um, and we ask most students today, why are you here in school? Um, and they would, they would say, well, because my parents make me, um, and, and okay. If you, if you say, let's just pretend compulsory education was not a thing and, um, you, you didn't have to go to school. Why, why would you, right? If you were going to go to school, why would you, um, Peter Kraft actually has a great dialogue about this. I think in his, um, the best things in life are free. Maybe, maybe that's where it is. Um, I'm not sure, but no, go ahead. I think I just butchered the title Uh, or the unaborted Socrates or one of his dialogues. Anyway, um, he, he gives a picture of a, of a college student who's, who's harried and trying to cram for, you know, exams and stuff like that. Same idea, but basically the conversation goes like this. And I've asked students this, why are you here? Because we have to, okay but you don't really have to, um, you know, well, we need to get into college, right? That's the next logical kind of argument. Nope, don't need to go to college. Okay, but if you, if you, you know, if, if you were gonna go to college, why would you do that, right? Well, we need to um, get a job or get a good job. We need to get a good paying job. And that's usually what it means to get a good job is to get a, a job that pays well. Still, not necessarily that non sequitur doesn't follow. You know, you know, you don't have to go to college to to make a lot of money if if that's your aim. Um, but okay, why do you need the money? Well, because we need to buy stuff. Duh! Like, what's wrong with you? Uh, so you go to school so that you can get into college, so that you can get a good job, so that you can have enough money to buy stuff. Yes, great. So that's just to be a really good consumer. That's why we're. <laughs> We're, we're here. Uh, no, they even students know that there's something wrong with that conclusion, right? Um, the human person is, is more is, is made for more than that, right? Um, and this is where the classical world would have answered that question uh, resolutely and say, you were made for virtue. Um, education is, is to form you to be a virtuous person so you can be more like God. Um, who is the summum good, the summum bonum, right? The, the highest good. Um, and um, education uh, is, is a way to um, cultivate order and harmony within the soul uh, and moral beauty and wholeness so that you can become the, the, the creature that God has made you to because you, you bear his image, right? 
that's uh, more of the picture of, of classical learning. And we can, and, and of course you're absolutely right. How do, how we do that is, is tied to a methodology, right? It's tied to uh, a, a tried and trust, uh, trusted uh, methodology of, of the liberal arts, right? Um, you, you mentioned grammar, logic, rhetoric. Um, and so we can, we can do that. We can, we can reflect on the true and the good and the beautiful through the lenses of um, grammar, logic, rhetoric. Uh, and if you want to even add to that, um, astronomy, geometry, mathematics, music. <laughs> right, uh, the quadrivium. So, yeah, let's yes, go. That's right. Yeah. So that that's all. That's what I would say about that is that there's just uh, classical learning really does not see education as a utilitarian practice, but as um, as as forming you. It's not just information. It's formation. It's forming you to be the the, the best person that you can be. Uh, thank you for uh, uh, developing that thought. I really appreciate it. So that's meaningful. And, and that's something that I think is attractive. Again, I'm talking with Devin O'Donnell. Devin is on the staff at the Oaks Classical Christian Academy. Devin, I want to yeah. ask you this. So I made a claim that there is a phenomenon that's happening right now around the country, which is this yeah. burgeoning like uh, overflowing sense of people coming quickly and saying the existing modes of education that I see around me are not producing the fruits that I want for my kids. Hey, wait a minute, classical schools or even classical educational models that I can use in my co-op or in my home, that these are things that are like just exploding around the country. So what yeah. do you see in, in your work with the Association of Classical Christian Schools and, and the, the Catholic yeah. counterpart to that? What's what's happening sort of at the national level? Absolutely. And so w- when we talk about what was sort of removed from um, educational systems over the last century or two centuries or whatever, um, a picture of that we described about becoming the, the person that God wants you to be. Um, that's part of that, that vision of paideia. And um, I think we, we are in, we are all kind of at a time of rediscovering something, recovering something that was lost. Um, I kind of liken it to that passage in second Kings. Uh, if, if you recall where this is, this is when King Josiah um, is you know collecting money to to sort of rebuild some of the temple and Hilkiah the priest is in the back uh, of the <laughs> the uh, closet and happens to just find the law the book of the law that they hadn't had for like a long time <laughs> and he brings it to Josiah and the king runs his garments and you know um, and all of a sudden he reads it to the people and they all hear it and and you have this kind of cultural transformation that takes place after after that. But it's just amazing to 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 think that they didn't have the, the Bible essentially, like they didn't have the law, they didn't have the Torah. You know, um, that's kind of what happened to us. I think there, culturally, we we've discarded so much of uh, of our past and of our heritage and and of the the true and the good and the beautiful, and 
uh, we're now excited about recovering a lot of that. And so we're taking out these kind of dusty tools and, and, and cleaning them off and, and learning how to uh, bless our lives again, how to live, uh, live a blessed life. Um, so it's a project of, of recovery. It's a project of, of rebuilding, um, repairing. And, uh, and, and I think you see that in all kinds of um, ways. And I think it's not just, uh, this is where I do think it's not just that we discovered some classical learning, um, almost like as if, you know, if you look at the Renaissance too, um, the Renaissance was kicked off, not by a bunch of people just kind of talking about humanism in the, you know, 1300s or something, but it was, it was rooted to rediscoveries of Greek texts that had been lost, right? Um, Aristotle, um, Plato, right? Um, and that, that led to this kind of cultural uh, renaissance, a rebirth, right? So um, I think we're, we're in something like that, where we're excited to rediscover things. And we're now just trying to figure out um, how, 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 we, how, how we do that. And I think, but there's also a, an advance there. And that's what I'm trying to say. Um, there's been classical schools around for a long time. I mean, your, your hometown, the, the Latin Roxbury Academy, uh, right? Isn't that what it's called? Yeah. Um, it's been around forever. It's been, it's been around since before there was a country, like a hundred years before the set, you know, there was a country. So um, it's not as though, and it's still around, right? You have Phillips Exeter, you have, um, you have many schools that, that have been classical. You can still take Latin there. They haven't stopped. Um, but what, what was lost? And I think that's where you mentioned the discipleship piece. And I think what we're seeing is a kind of a, a, a greater intentionality to disciple our kids and to give them the, the good stuff, the tools. Um, and so, yeah. Well, and I think about that, Devin, again, I'm talking with Devin O'Donnell today on the program, and we're reflecting on um, education and on schooling and how important it is for parents and grandparents to be very intentional and discerning about where it is you send your kids, because we live in a time, and this is where I want to go, we're, we're living in a time where the culture outside of the schools has increasingly uh, moved towards atheism. It is increasingly mm -hmm. moved towards a secularistic worldview that is devoid of faith and honestly is increasingly anti-faith, anti-God, anti-Catholic yeah. and anti-Christian, yeah. especially with gender ideology yeah. um, being so forcefully presented in mandatory curricula uh, mm -hmm. in the state of Washington, mm -hmm. for instance. Um, with mm -hmm. its comprehensive sexuality education. But then that also bleeds into other schools, uh, at least in the form of kids that are impacted uh, by this. Um, mm -hmm. and, and, and the question is, well, how do we play as parents? How do we do what, we, what we're attempting to do in our homes to, to find a correspondence in the schools? Because the, the culture, the, the wider society has, has, is running away from us. And is pressing mm -hmm. in against us. So mm -hmm. I think that's that that raises the the level of urgency yeah. and importance yep. for parents yep. to be um, finding out about like what 
what do we know about the faith commitments of the of the teachers, of the yep. administrators, right? That right. Uh, if you're going to really promote a culture that is an atmosphere in the school among the students, mm -hmm. then I think it's probably a pretty critical component to have uh, teachers uh, and administrators right. that are uh, fervent in their faith that are, are faith filled mm -hmm. and um, not mm -hmm. are perfect. There's no perfect mm -hmm. person. We're all falling short of God's right. glory, but right. we're striving. We're striving yeah. to honor God and um, a, 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 in doing so in a way that is um, clear to, to their students. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. And I think, I think you can see this reflected in, in the, the traditions uh, of the church broadly. You, you, you see this kind of, um, recovery of of a of a intentional Christian classical learning in Orthodox um, churches and uh, or Orthodox communities. You you see it obviously in, in Catholic communities as well. Um, the Institute for Catholic Liberal Education, uh, and you see it in Reformed kind of Protestant circles as well. So uh, the 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 big accrediting body of this school that I'm a part of right now is called the Association of Classical Christian Schools. Um, but you kind of have similar, um, you know, institution building happening all over. Uh, and uh, it's really exciting to see it. I love it. Um, so uh, I'm, a, I'm, I'm broadly very supportive of it and, and, um, and not just of the um, the return to a, a kind of classical method, uh, although I think that's better than <laughs> than what we have. Um, but again, I, I think um, you can't avoid some kind of religious undergirding of of the educational project. That's what it means to to have paideia. Again, I'm talking with Devin O'Donnell. He is the director of uh, family education, community education at the Oaks. He's also the editor of Classus, a, a journal from the Association of Classical Christian Schools. And he's the author of The Age of Martha, A Call to Contemplative Learning in a Frenzied Culture. Uh, Devin, uh, it, it feels like we're living in, in a moment of what I, I tend to refer to as the Benedict option, right? So you yeah. hear that phrase, yeah. but I feel like a lot of families yeah. that uproot and move mm -hmm. um, or who choose a degree of intentionality that is um, that is sacrificial um, is often yep. connected to teenagers. It's often connected to the kids mm. that reach yep. seventh and eighth grade in their high school years because yep. that's the time of the dawning of self-awareness. That's the time of someone's yep. sense of sexual identity. That's someone's sense of who they are and how they locate themselves in the world. That's mm -hmm. happening in those years. They're so foundational to what comes next. And yep. because there's more at stake, I have just seen parents who would have never thought it pulling their kids from public schools or even Catholic schools and mm -hmm. saying, I'm going to homeschool um, right. or I'm going to join this co-op or yep. I'm going to pull them out of the local Catholic school that is near right. and I'm going to get into a carpool and drive 45 minutes to an hour each way to get to the, the school, the Catholic school that has a discipleship focus that is looking for 
commitment of faith. And those are often right. the classical schools, honestly, um, yeah. that are um, that are saying, um, if you come here, with, there's a here's a profession of faith. We're going to ask that you adhere to this, and mm-hmm. it we're because we're attempting to build something. Yeah. And and then there are those families that said, you know what, I can't find it here. I'm literally going to move. And so they mm-hmm. uproot their family, not because of job, not because mm-hmm. uh, they want to be closer to family, but no, in fact, they're often leaving jobs and families and convenience and connections and what they know right. yeah. in order to go to a place that's going to be healthier for their kids. Yeah. So it, it, there's a degree of yeah. courage there's a degree of sacrifice that is being called forth from parents who are mm-hmm. awakening to, again, what's at stake in them fulfilling their lives as parents to lead and provide and protect their kids when it comes to how their kids are being formed and educated. So mm-hmm. it feels like one of the um, reasons why classical schools that have a discipleship focus and that just by nature are meant to be smaller are getting filled so quickly that you can't even you can barely open one before they just get filled up and then you've got to open another one. Mm-hmm. Um, it is because of parents saying, I'm willing to take the extraordinary and even heroic steps that I need to take for the sake of preserving the ordinary faith of my kids where they're spending most of their time during the day. Yeah, yeah. You mentioned um the Benedict option um, and, and Rod Dreher uh, goes into detail about the kind of institution building that's happening uh, um, broadly as well um, with, with a return to classical Christian education. Um, he also, he also talks about this concept. I think it's, I think it's out of uh, the philosopher Vaclav Havel of a parallel polis, right? So um in communist occupied country or countries in in Eastern Europe and so forth, um, what had to how did you preserve your integrity, your your faith, your um, customs when the the communist regime was trying to pulverize everything and and your attachments to to your past and and to your family and um, and to kind of make the state be the, the most important thing in your life. Um, uh, you had to come up with, he calls this idea of the parallel polis. Um, so in many ways, the churches went underground, right? Uh, similar to that of, of uh, the Christians in, in, under the persecution of Roman emperors in the um, early church. Uh, you had similar, you know, universities and schools and, and, and all kinds of, uh, groups of ramshackle people meeting underground to study things and to learn things or to play music or to read the Bible or, you know, to have, to have actual church. Um, and so we're not there yet, but we are starting to see some of this in exactly what you're talking about in the cost that it takes to, to um, risk uh, financially and, and, and socially uh, going out and, and building things and, and saying, we're not going to be part of this system. We're actually going to build our own kind of Christian culture. Um, and uh, you, you see it literally physically, even just the way in which the Oaks is, is 
arranged right now. We're, you mentioned that we have a building project. There's a big, big old building going up uh, behind me. Um, well, that's that's been a long time coming. You know, we're the Oaks is going on 27 years or something like that. It's what you don't know is that there's a, a, a government school uh, about a stone's throw that way, and another government school, you know, not much further that way. So we're literally right in between two two schools. You know, why do you need another one? What's what's the big deal? Well, because there is a call to uh, building uh, something else, right? Uh, something that is that is going to be consistent with with the way in which we want our kids to be raised in the faith. Um, and that's part of that um, parallel polis that I see happening. Uh, so, well, uh, and you're, I think you're referring to his book, "Live Not by Lies," Rod Dreyer's book, where he maybe goes into the one I'm referring to. Yeah, he goes into that quite a bit, right? And that's sort of his clarion call that says, "Hey, the Benedict option." You know, I'm noticing that these, in you know, these folks are being intentional and and stepping away from the wider culture, like Benedict yeah. did. You know, Cardinal. Yeah. Rat- Cardinal Ratzinger and then Pope yeah, Benedict yeah. saying, look, these islands of, of believers more intensely living and sharing their faith, yeah. but live not by lies is, you know, Dreyer saying, Hey, pay attention. Like you have all these right. folks that are very old now who went through right. the communist takeover and they had to go underground and they're saying, Hey, I remember that. That's what happened to us. And if you're not paying yeah. attention, you're going to be overrun because there's this form, there's this soft form of, mm. um, of totalitarianism, authoritarianism yeah, of totalitarianism yeah. that's coming in yeah. and that soft form is going to become hard pretty quickly. Right. And, yeah. um, and, and, you know, it's, it's, I come back to something that Kerry says to me a lot when we, we can have these conversations um, with other folks and there's a sense of us saying the house is on fire. The house mm. is on fire. You've got to get out. And people are looking at us saying, relax, you know, we're having right. a barbecue in the backyard just right. just yeah. enjoy enjoy the meal and, yeah. and i'm thinking no 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 there's there are lives that are at stake here and unless you take yeah like extraordinary action there's going to be a loss it's people who have suffered that realize it that the house is on fire mm-hmm. and they want to help other people avoid That's having right. to experience that but i gotta tell you it makes it doesn't make always for the most pleasant uh, dinner conversation to talk to families <laughs> right. who are refugees. That's how we refer yeah. to ourselves, right? These yeah. refugee families that have made these right. moves and and can get into the conversations like the house is on fire. What are we going to do? Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, okay, we can relax now. We can relax, yeah. right? Yeah. You can have a barbecue, yeah. right? But That's then a- <laughs> you want to still go back and help other families so that their house doesn't get on fire, I guess is yeah. a way of saying it. So, yeah. Yeah, there's kind of two objectives, right? We're we're called to um, obviously provide and and protect our kids and um, and and lead be them. faithful and lead them. That's yep. right, and and be faithful to to what God what what is immediately in front of us in terms of our families, right? Um, uh, and to uh, fostering the integrity of their faith. Um, so they can handle, you know, that generational vision so they can actually hand something on to their kids. Um, but there's also a, a larger kind of cultural piece as well. And I, I, I think obviously we, we can't totally solve that bigger piece. Um, 
and and a lot of people have opinions about that right um and you, we you, that's the conversations get into politics and you know all, all kinds of things like that but but i do think these things are connected right i think um you know culturally um we we have to return to to the old things to the good things um it kind of reminds me of that gk chesterton where he says um for some strange reason man must always thus plant his fruit trees in a graveyard right gk chesterton's um uh democracy of the dead right um this this uh, or his his idea that um, the only way man makes progress is by sort of facing back, uh, facing backwards, but but walking forwards, right? Yeah, it's the um, rowboat, right? Yeah, yeah, it's right. It's the rowboat, exactly, yeah, exactly. Pulling. We, we, we've got to look at the past, um, and and yes, we that that's not to say you know there was where it wasn't any mistakes in the past, but but the only way we can actually make real progress is is to keep keep focusing on the end to and to return to that. I think, mm-hmm. um, and so. I think there's some that that's where the cultural renewal can can take place as well. Um, uh, so, you know, yeah, Ch- Chesterton is a great one for that. Uh, he he has really funny things to say about education too. He says he says education really not a thing. Only a word used to describe uh, the process by which we hand on whatever truth we happen to have in a given time. That's really what we're doing. We're handing on kind of a way of life. And so if we want to do that, um, we've got to be consistent with how that that's been done. So. Yeah, that's beautiful. That's the principle of tradition, right? To hand yeah, on there you go. what Amen. I've received to the next generation. It's not just a custom. It's no, it's all that we are. It's all that we have. It's all that we live and believe handing that on from one generation to the next and God's involved in that. Well, Devin, we're up against the end of our time together. I really appreciate you've been very generous and articulate and another enjoyable conversation. Thank you so much for being with me today on the program. Tom, good to be here. Um, Happy to come back anytime. (laughs) Absolutely. I love it. Well, I'll see you you uh, in the stands soon enough uh, or on the halls uh, at the Oaks. And next week again, folks, is Catholic Schools Week. And I'm excited to be able to interview a number of Uh, leaders and families and faculty of Catholic schools uh, across the state and in Northern Idaho as well, hopefully as a blessing to you. Thanks so much for being with me today. God bless you.